Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. As America currently deals with the rash of anti-Asian sentiment, Far East, the Deep South is a deeply moving story that offers a poignant perspective on race relations, immigration, and the deep roots of the Chinese American in our national identity. The award-winning documentary follows Charles Chu and his family, including his son and producer Baldwin Chu, and his daughter-in-law, and that would be director Larissa Lam, as they traveled from California to Mississippi to find out answers about Charles' father, K.C. Lu. And I'm going to leave it there because there's a lot more in this film. There's a lot more that we get to find out, not only about your family, but also about the broader perspective of the Chinese experience as, it, as immigrants and now as citizens of the United States. And there's so much more here. The film will be premiering on World Channel, the documentary series, which is America Reframed, which is part of the PBS series. So be looking for it there. It'll be premiering on May 4th. And with that, I'd like to welcome to the program the director, Larissa Lamb, and the producer, Baldwin Chu. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Hey, thank hey, you hey. so much, Mike, for having us. <laughs> it's so <laughs> awesome to be here. Thank you. And thank you for being here. What really pulls me into this film is this very personal story and so many twists and turns that it takes. I want people to know that it 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 starts out one place and it ends up in a very different place in terms of the, the trajectory of the family history, but it also illuminates this larger perspective on the Chinese American experience in America. What prompted Larissa, I'll start with you since you're the director <laughs> that puts you at the top of the top of the heap. Yes, what thank was you. it? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? that prompted or inspired this documentary to uh, to get going? Well, we took a trip that was just supposed to be a family trip in, uh, I believe it was September of 2014. Um, um, I married to Baldwin. I didn't know what we were doing. We were just going to visit the grave sites of Baldwin's grandfather and great-grandfather in Mississippi. And I literally thought there'd be two Chinese men buried there. When we got there and we found out there was this Chinese museum in the middle of Mississippi and there were, you know, thousands of, you know, Chinese and families that had lived there in the Mississippi Delta over the generations, I started to really kind of question what I had been taught in, in school in terms of the history that I learned because nowhere in our history books did we ever learn about Chinese in the South, especially we all learn about segregation. We all learn about the American South. And in my eyes, growing up in California, you couldn't get more quote unquote American than the American South in terms of history and just culture. And I said, we, we never heard about Asians there. And for me, I think it would have completely reframed the way I thought about, I think, Asians in America growing up, even my own personal identity. I, a lot of us that are Asian Americans struggle with not feeling American enough because we are considered quote unquote foreigners a lot of times or, or sons and daughters of immigrants. If we go to Asia, they don't think of us as Asian enough or Chinese and stuff. If I go over to, you know, if go to Asia, so we don't really ever belong anywhere. And so for me, this, this idea that there's this history in the South um, that's so pivotal, I, I really wanted more people to see it and all the crazy things that happened to us on this trip. 
Well, and Baldwin, obviously, you certainly were interested enough in in turning this into a, a film project, being the producer. I'm just kind of curious to gauge your family's either trepidation or embrace of being followed and sort of this journey that you all went on. Um, how did that sort of unfold within the family? Was How did they embrace what, what you and Larissa were up to? Actually, Larissa was really the, the brainchild of, the, uh, of wanting to go and make a documentary film. I just wanted to make a family video just so that my daughter would one day have some sort of record about her family lineage. But then once we started the ball rolling, we started off with a short film called Finding Cleveland, which was embedded inside Far East Deep South. It, was, it just captured the first one and a half days, basically, that we were in Mississippi. From the first trip. From the first trip in, in 2014. And the success of Finding Cleveland and all the other discoveries since that first trip um, expanded so much that um, we really needed to make a full-length film. And people were encouraging us to make that full-length film. As far as my family goes, I think uh, initially, there was some hesitation, especially on my dad's part. He's a very private person. Um, he was okay with just the short film because he wasn't really, really in the short film. And we didn't really tell him about the short film. This is, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of the the trick here is we kind of did it. And then, you know, we figured we'd ask permission later. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing was my dad didn't even want to talk to me about all those discoveries. So everything you see in the film, Far East Deep South, that has interviews and all these discoveries and testimonials from my father is really because I got kicked out of the room. Actually, I got kicked out of the entire house and Larissa conducted those interviews. And I had never heard any of these stories my entire life until a few days later when I was going through the playback of all the all the footage. Yeah. And I mean, from a filmmaking standpoint, too, um, kind of the trick is I, I had to just go in alone um, because he's such a private person that I knew if I brought a whole film crew he was going to get spooked, you know, and even a lot of the other candid moments, like I kind of was lurking in the background, you know, with the camera and, you know, my daughter's there. So it's kind of like a family video. And I, I tried to be very, you know, incognito in a sense. I mean, he might've been suspecting something, but I, I really tried to kind of disappear so that it wasn't so obvious that we were filming because I knew if we brought a whole group of strangers in and, you know, lighting and boom and everything, like he was just, he was just not going to open up. And so I think that was really the key is to have those intimate moments for interviewing and just talking to your dad. Yeah. And I think with documentary film, we have a little bit of, um, forgiveness if we have to pull out our cell phones last minute you know and get some cinema verite footage and it's kind of accepted in the documentary world and it's yeah. also nice that phones are can can be shot in, in 1080 and 4k <laughs> even right so now right yes absolutely yeah and that is the, that's the case i think just capturing the essence of the story for documentary film lovers, that's all that really matters. I don't care if it's, you know, if you hand draw it. I mean, as long as you're getting the essence of what the story is about, then that's that's the most important thing. I do want to let people know they can go to the website fareastdeepsouth.com to find out more about this uh, and not only about the story, but also about screenings. In fact, I believe you could host a screening if you're so inclined and Yes, you can. Yeah, and, definitely. And it's also available um, to view on Canopy at universities and um, for educational licensing on top of our, our PBS broadcast. Yeah, but we love doing the private events, though, especially if, if, uh, if it's a company or corporation or organization that has diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, 
opportunities. We love speaking at those events, doing private screenings and, and speaking. Yeah, because we really hope that our film is a catalyst for conversation, you know, about some of these issues and, and, and creating kind of a positive environment, because I know things can be so polarizing now when we talk about issues of race and immigration, these hot topics. But what we really want to show with like our film is the human side of things, you know, through Baldwin's personal story, which is why the story was told through this personal lens, because we can throw history, we can throw statistics at people all we want, but if people can't see the human side uh, of stories, then I, I don't think they'll, they'll really relate to them. Let's take a, a step back without giving away too much of the story. I want to talk about going back to the very beginning, go to the patriarch of the family, Charles Chu, and <laughs> sort of describe in some broad detail, uh, some detail, his experience and how all of this sort of, he seems to be the catalyst to find out more and more about the family experience. Larissa or Baldwin, how would you want to describe sort of this catalyst for, for the story? Well, he grew up in China um, and up until the age of 14. And when he was about one years old, his father, which would have been Baldwin's um, grandfather, Casey, left him for the last time to come back to the United States. And, and he never saw him again. And that was kind of the catalyst is he grew up fatherless and I remember it was really strange when I was, used to ask Baldwin when we first got married, like, hey, what's your father's side of the family? Like, you know, history. He's like, I don't know. Do you want to invite anybody to the wedding? No, I don't think he does. <laughs> we don't know any of the relatives. And I, I thought it was just so strange. And now uncovering the story, I know why his father didn't talk about it, you know, to anybody and why Baldwin knew none of his relatives um, because um, of the kind of the tragic backstory. Um, so that was, you know, and he, he, so Baldwin's dad came to the United States at the age of 14. People can watch the movie to get more of the details, but he came here, ended up becoming a naturalized citizen. He was in San Francisco, you know, meanwhile, his whole family, his father and, and grandfather his had history. been in Mississippi. His, his history his had been American Mississippi. American history was in Mississippi. Yeah. But he didn't have much of a connection to it. So he grew up in San Francisco, from the point he came to the United States at age 14, he grew up in San Francisco and made his life in Northern California. And that was kind of it. And he, he kind of just never talked yeah. about it, right? Yeah. So this whole discovery um, in our film was a discovery pretty much together, maybe what, 70, 60 years after he arrived. As we see kind of in the film, I, I don't think, you know, Baldwin and his brother really knew how painful growing up without a father was to him because he just locked it up. And, you know, he you always say he's like he was an Air Force and kind of a tough guy and stereotypical Chinese father, very, you know, stern and stoic, and quiet, but yet firm in the way, you know, he could, he could speak with you with his eyes, right? <laughs> he could just look at you. <laughs> that disapproval. Or say like one <laughs> sentence and you knew exactly what he would mean. And you don't get more than that one sentence, right? Yeah, and I think it was that that was true, regardless of your ethnic background of that generation. And so I made him cry a lot in this film. <laughs> which we don't, yeah, which we didn't see in real life. Well, I don't know if I made him cry, but like the circumstances and yeah. the journey, you know, caused him to get very emotional. It was, it was a healing process. I, I think of it as almost his therapy session going, you know, how we kind of framed the film, because it really was him reconciling with the past. And in his case, discovering things that he didn't realize were out of his control and it wasn't his father, you know, abandoning him. Kind of curious about his trajectory over the course of making this film, his emotional tra trajectory. And that is, did he, once he realized all of these things were that he had didn't know about, 
did he open up more as the film progressed as you were going through this? I mean, I can't imagine that this wasn't in addition to be illuminating for him in his family history, but also therapeutic and a very deep level. Baldwin, do you want to address that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why it took us almost five years to make the film, because as we were making the film, we would discover more things. And as soon as we thought, oh, man, this is it. My dad would come up with some other details that would just suddenly appear in his mind like, oh, actually, I do recall a little bit of this that my grandma, you know, that his grandmother um, told him about Mississippi or some stories. Right. And then we'd start finding he start finding artifacts in his house like pictures and stuff where we would look through them like well what's this and who's that and and then he would oh this is so and so and this is so and yeah a lot of the photos that we feature in our documentary Baldwin had never seen them before did not know that they existed and as we continued the research as things progressed he slowly remembered things or at least thought things were worth remembering um, and brought them out well that in and of itself tells me what I that, that answers the question. In, in, in some way, this had to have been therapeutic for him to reconsider his life and going back, start to re, try to recount things. And I think that is the other thing about the film. I mean, it, the idea, good and bad, the United States history is there are these niches, there are these little pockets around our American history about race and immigration and and the fact that in the Deep South, and as is alluded to in the title of the film, Far East Deep South, this is, was this kind of community of Chinese immigrants living. And I wouldn't say thriving would not be the word I would use, but at least enough. Surviving. surviving. <laughs> and contributing. Surviving, yeah. surviving and, and, and contributing. And contributing. To and, the, contributing. The and there's another whole branch of this story about the time in Pace and, and the store and the African-American community and the shared experiences. And right. so this is what I'm talking about when I say this film is a personal family story, but it really broadens out beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think those relationships, especially in, in this time, you know, where people a lot of times don't feel like they have a lot of in common. Um, you know, I, I know personally growing up, you know, we, we learned about segregation as mentioned before and, and we never maybe felt a connection when we heard that in, in history school, Oh, that didn't happen to our, you know, our people. That's a terrible chapter, but no personal connection. But then I think now learning that Jim Crow applied to anybody that wasn't white, you know, not just the Asian community too, you know, nationwide, if you were native American, if you were Mexican, Jim Crow, could be applied to you, even though it was originally created to target the black community. And you're just like, how come we don't know about this? You know, it, this is not just a, the, the fight against racism isn't just a fight for, for the black community. I mean, it's a fight for anyone that has been marginalized. Um, and so I think that's something that, that came to the surface through, through our, you know, research. Yeah. Certainly that relationship with the black community really opened up our film a lot more um, because now we got the perspective from another group of people. Um, that were still, in essence, relating their story with ours. And it was great to hear that other perspective and to understand the relationships that were 
And as bad as things have been, you know, um, current day, especially during coronavirus, I mean, we kind of take for granted, you know, walking through the front door of a store, for instance, and and it really touched my heart when I heard a lot of the, the you know, African-American neighbors that would be friends and, and frequent a lot of the Chinese stores. And they're like, yeah, we could walk into the store um, through the front door. You know, we didn't have to go through the separate entrance. You know, we were treated with respect and not looked upon as a second class citizen. And, and, and I, 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 I was just, it just gives you perspective to how far we've come today, even though there's still so much progress that needs to be made. And by, by any means, you know, we're, we're not, we don't live in a perfect world, but certainly hopefully we can learn some of those lessons from the past um, to carry us forward today. I want to remind our listeners, we're talking with the director and the producer of this wonderful documentary film called Far East Deep South. And you can go to fareastdeepsouth.com to find out more about it. But we're talking with Larissa Lamb, the director, and Baldwin Chu, who's the producer and also intimately involved in the, <laughs> in the, in the family that, we're, that is the subject of this film. What's so enlightening about your film is, once again, it reminds me of just how these connections, and it doesn't take long for you within your own family to go back to the middle of the 18th, 19th century, I'm sorry, the 19th century, and how different things were in just this period of a few generations where the Chinese Exclusion Act, Jim Crow, you know, the, the, the most politically powerful group in the, in the country in the 1920s was the Ku Klux Klan. It does, and then we have this World War II, and then America comes out of that with a very different perspective on the immigrant experience and tries to reform itself. And then you have Martin Luther King, but I mean, we're still a long ways, a long ways, but in the, in the time span of my lifetime, people I've known lived through all of this. I get this. I don't know this is very long winded, but I think I, that, was, that was I a perspective it. that, that I think I, I considered too, as we were making the film, because, you know, we have people in our film, you know, that lived through Jim Crow, right. Or yeah. lived through world war two who fought in world war two. Um, and that were, you know, that have witnessed so much. And so that, that was the thing that I, I think struck me is like you said, this, this, history is a long time ago, but it's not that long time ago, if you really think about it. But it also shows you that things can change incrementally. And, and, and that's the difficult thing in discussing history is because even year to year, even how like the Chinese exclusion law was applied, it, it changed it, you know, sometimes it was more severe. And, you know, a few years later, it, it relaxed a little bit. And a few years later, it would get more severe. I mean, you can see that even in our political d- discourse today, right? It depends on who's in charge, right? It depends on what the climate is and the conditions. And so all that to say is, is that politics and world events and just life and race can be very, very complicated. And, and we hope that our film shines a light on these different chapters and makes people think, you know, and challenges to, them to, to consider all these factors as we kind of make our society moving forward. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when we think about the big picture, we're talking about how can we make change nationally on this big major federal level where it applies to everybody. And I think what our film does is it shows that we can definitely make change but sometimes that change is more impactful when we do it locally. When we when we look at the people next to us and say like, okay, the laws might say this, you know, in our film, clearly the laws of the late 1800s, early 1900s were not good for us. Yet in this little town, they, they found commonality. They found relationships. They found ways to survive and endure um, hardships together, despite what the national law was doing. 
right? And so uh, I think it hopefully it inspires us to be like, okay, maybe we can't change something on a federal level or an international level, but we could change things right here in our hometown, right next door to our neighbors, uh, right, right away. Yeah, I do think that we're in a in a point in American history where there is there is a perception, and I think it's a correct perception that is that the blending of America is inevitable, right? right? Whether or not we intermarry, whether or not we just figure out a way to just put aside these ridiculous perceptions of one another, however this plays itself out. And so I think there is right now a certain level of desperation on the part of people who would like to return to a time when those weren't the the direction of America. And it's it's there is a sense of desperation about the way that the, these politics are playing out. It's not even 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 subtle anymore. There's nothing insidious about these 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 things that we're hearing in our political right. discourse now. It's it's it is blatant. And I think that that in some ways I take that as an opportunity to understand the moment and how we're moving in the right direction. The, 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 the degree to which there is this resistance indicates to me, it in, in a sense, a degree of progress that whether or yeah. not we understand it or see it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if we think about the, the history of America, if we want to go really back way back, right? None of us are really from here, right? As we kind of propose, uh, you know, we have the indigenous people and the Native Americans were here first. And then, you know, everybody started coming in. And and honestly, it was an open door policy at that point. Once people started coming in, you basically came to the United States as long as you didn't have a disease, they let you in. I and mean, that's the one thing they screened for is, were you sick? Were you going to bring a disease? And then the 1882, you know, Chinese Exclusion Act happened. And that's when the gates, that was really the beginning of our immigration system being restrictive. People don't know that. Um, it started with the Chinese. And but prior to that, if you really want to go back to what the original intent of our country was to, to welcome people with open arms and that it was an opportunity to escape, you know, even the beginning, the founding fathers, right? They were escaping religious persecution or, you know, the, the other freedoms that they weren't experiencing, you know, in England and in Europe. And so this was the land that people come to if they wanted freedom, if they wanted to start over and they wanted to start new and, and hopefully you know, people really understand what the origins and the intent of America was, is this great experiment. Yeah. And I think, you know, in addition to what you were speaking about with, you know, wanting to go back, um, I think there's a fear right now with canceling history and people are afraid that, that if we speak out, I mean, clearly our history, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act worked on multiple levels. Not only did it prevent Chinese people from coming to the United States, um, it, it started to kick out and you know get rid of the Chinese people that are already here that were brought here in the first place. But another thing that the Chinese Exclusion Act worked was was that it canceled our history. And that's why you know our film today is showing something that we never learned about in school because the history of our our people, our community in this country has been erased. And I think the fear right now is that other cultures histories are going to be erased and will be canceled by bringing out stories like ours. And I want, I want to say that we're not trying to cancel anybody's history. We're not trying to say that, that certain people no longer exist or certain histories existed. I was talking to a history professor just uh, last week, and he was saying, you know, history doesn't belong to a certain group of people. It doesn't belong. You know, he's white. And he's like, it doesn't belong to us for being white, even though we've written a lot of the, you know, history books. It doesn't belong to you because you're Asian. It doesn't belong to the Black community because they're Black just because it's about the South. History just is. 
you know, and as a history professor, he's saying history just is history. And it's a disservice to him as a historian, him as a history teacher to not include all the history that has ever been here in the United States. And so I, I love that perspective um, because we're, we're afraid right now in this society that by introducing history that we don't know, that we're trying to cancel out other history that's existing, Or diminish someone or else's. diminish someone yeah, else's right, history. Right, right. This, this is where, yeah, where our political system and our history become a zero-sum game. Right. Why is that? Not. Why, do, why does it have to be that way? I've become obsessed with this idea. I've been, I'm looking for someone who will make a foundation out of this particular idea. And that is, I call it the acknowledgement project. We need to acknowledge. We will never, ever, ever get past some of this crazy until we first acknowledge it. Is there any harm in acknowledging the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 had a profound effect on Chinese immigration, Chinese people and families for, for a century. It, it, right. No, there is, there should be, I, I, in some ways, I just don't, we'll never get anywhere. Let's, let's at least acknowledge that in 1619, people were brought to this country to be enslaved. Right. Let's acknowledge it. It will only help us say, okay, now what do we do? Right. Right. Because otherwise, until we agree that these things happen, and they did happen, I'm really kind of fixated on this idea is the first step is acknowledgement. But like on a personal level, like all we want is people to acknowledge our pain and then move on. We don't want you to necessarily like, what else are you going to do? You're like, well, like help us move on for that. Or if somebody's made a mistake, you know, on the flip side, it's like, okay, you've made the mistake, you know, it, let's, let's help you move on. You know, like, as we say, like going back to the whole cancel culture too, I think people are so reticent because they don't want to admit fault because they don't quote unquote want to be canceled, but like, okay, it's okay to admit fault. It's okay to make mistakes, but let's help people move beyond that. You know, as we say, like, we don't believe like once a racist, always a racist. I mean, there's some people that are, you know, it's hard to sway their mind, but like, we believe there's a lot of people that if they don't have the information, it's more like Will Smith in a, in an interview, the actor said recently, it's like, most people are ignorant, you know, they're not evil and ignorance can be educated and you can change those who are ignorant. Yeah. And I think also, you know, a lot of times today we're thinking, you know, everybody wants to change the future. Everybody wants a better future. Right. But I believe that, you know, we really need to know our past and then, and understand what happened there. And before we can understand how it got to where we are today in the present, and only then can we go out and create a better future. And there's only, and right now it seems like everybody's trying to create a better future without knowing what got us here in the first place. Um, so knowing our history, good and bad, um, it's great to acknowledge that the United States is now a world power. It's, it's where everybody wants to come to. And there's great things about this country, and I'm proud to be an American. But we also need to acknowledge that some really bad things happened in this country that that got us to where we are today, even if it's good and even if it's bad, um, you know, and, and that's why I love like when I talk to historians, they're, they're like, we just it doesn't diminish how great our country is right now by acknowledging that we that some bad things had to happen or did happen along the way. It doesn't mean it needs to continue to be bad. And doesn't. And, and the great thing about our country is we can make changes if we understand what happened back then so that we can make our country greater by not allowing those things to happen again. I was uh, in kindergarten. It's a, it's a memory that I will never forget. I remember the teacher saying to, to where the first, but this is the first brush with patriotism that I can remember. And I remember the teacher saying to me, America is a place where anyone can come and make a life. Every nationality, every ethnicity is welcome to America. 
And I just, even at that age, five, six years old, maybe I was in first grade, I just, but I remember it. And I thought, wow, that sounds really great. Mm-hmm. And it's always stuck with me that that was the founding principle of this country. Well, it didn't turn out to exactly play out that way, but I, but the, but it's an aspirational thing to me is that that should be the case because that's what I was told when I was in first grade. Yeah, absolutely. Statue of Liberty, you know, exactly. <laughs> give us the poor huddled masses. I mean, yeah. that is, that's what we were sold on. And right. <laughs> it, let's, and let's, if we can just return to that basic principle. Well, I want to thank you for the film. Far East, Deep South. And I want to also let people know that it is premiering on World Channel, part of the World Channel documentary series, uh, part of uh, America Reframed on Tuesday, May 4th. World Channel is part of the PBS family, which includes PBS.org and PBS Video. And it is a wonderful. And by the way, uh, May happens to be Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And also, as you mentioned, it can be seen on Canopy. So if you're a university student or faculty member and you have a school email address, you can check it out on Canopy right now. You don't have to wait for the PBS premiere. So I want to thank our our guest today, the director, and that would be Larissa Lamb, as well as the producer and in many ways, the subject, one of the subjects of the film, uh, Far East, Deep South, and that would be Baldwin Chu. To both of you, thank you so very much for being on Film School Radio. Thanks for having us. We loved it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.